Amen. Well, isn't it good to be in the house of the Lord today? Yes, amen. Amen. Hey, I want to get right into the word this morning. This is week three of a series we've called The Best Is Yet to Come. Has anybody besides me been enjoying the book of Ruth this month? Like, we're just, man, I I love this story. If you haven't been with us, find your place there uh, in your Bible, open your device, or look on the screen. We'll put the scriptures up there. And uh, we're going to get right into chapter three and and four here in the story of Ruth. And if you haven't been following the story with us, let me me just give you two verses that kind of communicate the arc of the storyline that's happening here. Uh, The first one is in Ruth chapter one in verse 21, where she says this, she says, I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Like the bottom line is Naomi felt like God had forgotten her. How many of you know it's a tough place to be when you feel like your faith says God is in control, but your, your circumstances say, well, if he's in control, he must not care about me. That's the tension she was living in, and so the result of that was sorrow. She said, don't call me Naomi anymore. Call me Mara, because Naomi means pleasant, and Mara means bitter. And so when she comes uh, to this place in her life, she says, this is my lot in life. I'm I went away full, but now I'm, I'm empty. But she gets back to Bethlehem. She had faced a famine. Her and her family went to Moab, and, and her husband Elimelech died. Her, her two sons had found Moabite wives, but after 10 years of marriage and no children, both of her sons died. And so she's going back to Bethlehem. One of her daughters stayed behind. The other, Ruth, went with her, and they're back in Bethlehem. But she's bitter. Then you get to chapter 2, and Ruth, her daughter-in-law, goes out to, to try and get some food in the fields. She's gleaning. There, there was kind of a, uh, there was a system uh, in the culture that, that the, the poor could be taken care of by this law that said to the farmers, don't, don't harvest the corners of your field. And, and when, you, when you harvest your field, don't double back and get what you miss. Just, just leave it uh, for the low-income families, those in need. They'll come, and, and it was kind of a welfare system. They'll, they'll get food. And so Ruth immediately gets to work. She's going to glean in the fields. And, and my favorite verse, we looked at it last week, verse 3 in chapter 2. It says, as it turned out. She happened to be gleaning in the field of Boaz, and she catches the eye of this man, Boaz, and he immediately begins to bless her life. He takes care of her. He tells the women, hey, let her be in the group here. Let her work with you. Tells the men, hey, protect her. Don't touch her. Make sure nothing happens to her. He invites her to dinner. He shares bread and wine with her, and we saw that picture of communion last week, and and then he fills her bag with grain. And so every day, she's just receiving blessing from this man named Boaz. And so by the end of chapter 2, here's the second verse. Now Naomi says, he, the Lord, has not stopped showing kindness to the living and the dead. And so by the end of chapter 2, Ruth has been spending all of her time working in Boaz's field. Ruth is receiving blessing from him. She's eating at his table. He's sending her home with, with bags full of grain. So her and Naomi are, are taken care of, and, and he's kind of made it his personal mission to be the sole means of God's blessing in her life. 
And so through all of that happening in, in the young widow Ruth's life with Boaz and her mother-in-law Naomi's watching all this, something shifts in Naomi's attitude. She gets to the place where she starts to realize something really important. And it's this, what I thought was my story, I've discovered is actually just my backstory. And my prayer today is that some of you would come to that realization. That you would recognize that, that what you thought was your lot. That you thought, you know, I went away full. I had my chance. I had my moment. But now I'm empty. Now, now my opportunity has passed me by. What you thought was your story is actually just your backstory. What I want you to know today is the truth is, if you're not dead, he's not done. Your story is not over. Come on, look at your neighbor and just tell him, your setback was God's setup for your comeback. Yeah. Now, why don't you look at the other neighbor, your second choice, the one you didn't pick, and say, your best is yet to come. Maybe you'll pick them next time. <laughs> what you have to understand about this story is, and we talked about this in previous weeks, but there's two laws that are kind of at play in the story, in the culture of Israel. And, and the one law was the guardian redeemer or the kinsman redeemer law. The other was the leveret marriage law. If you read that law in, in Leviticus 25, it talks about how if someone, you know, that they... They're out of money. They hit hard times. They have to sell their property to make ends meet. If they have a, a kinsman, a relative that can that purchase that, they can purchase it back for them and redeem the property. In fact, some people had to kind of sell themselves to be indentured servants uh, to, to make ends meet. And so a kinsman redeemer could purchase their freedom back for them. Deuteronomy 25 talks about this other idea of the leveret marriage. And, and the, the law basically said that if... If a, a young Jewish married man dies without children, then the burden of responsibility is on his brother or a, a close relative, a cousin, maybe an uncle, uh, the next closest of kin. The burden is on them to take the widow and marry her. And the first child produced from their union will carry the name of the deceased father. And while those laws are kind of weird for us to understand in our context, understand the heart of it was this. God doesn't want the darkest moment of your story to be the end of your story. Like the heart of God in those laws was redemption. God was saying like, look, you've been through a difficult season, but, but through God's people and with God's help, you can turn it around. And so these laws are at play in this story. And when we get into chapter 3, we're going to see a desire to step into the fulfillment of what God has made available in his word. So when I say the best is yet to come, we've been saying that for three weeks now, can I encourage you today not to limit your, your foresight to your lifetime? Like God is about generations. And oftentimes, we don't have any more foresight than our 401k. Like, we just think about, you know, where we want to be sitting, you know, with sand between our toes. And, 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 like, that's the will of God for my life. Like, get there. And then, I don't know. I guess I'll just watch the waves crash, you know, and, and that's the end of my story. But God has a purpose for your life. 
that is multidimensional and multigenerational. In fact, last week I began the message talking about when Moses said, God, would you let your glory pass before me? I want to see your glory. And God said, I'll show you my goodness. And God's glory did pass before Moses, but when it did, he said something about who he is. In, Je- in Exodus chapter 34, God proclaimed his own name. He said, the Lord, the Lord, the God of compassion, a gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness to the third and fourth generation. So when God says, this is who I am, he says, I've got a plan that's bigger than your lifetime. So what I want you to understand is we're talking about, you know, this widow, Naomi, and her daughter-in-law, Ruth, and, and this love story between uh, Ruth and Boaz. you got to understand, this one family's story in the middle of a 400-year history of the nation of Israel, their story has implications all the way into the New Testament. That's the way that God works in our lives. He cares about the decisions that you're making. He cares about the choices you're you're making. Even those things that seem insignificant, you don't know where the final ripple will extend to. You know, I heard someone say uh, wisely that Jesus may live in your heart, but you still have granddaddy in your bones. How many of you know that's true? The apple doesn't fall. Too far from the tree. And so can I just encourage you to think, when I, when I think of God's best, it's not just God's best for, 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 for my life. It's God's best for my family. It's God's best for my, for my lineage. It's God's best for this nation. It, that, that what God's doing, uh, even in this church, is not just for my, uh, my lifetime. God wants to do something that's going to be expansive and multi-generational. Now, now the flip side of that is this. Last week, I had the privilege of praying with someone in one of our services that was struggling with abuse that had been inflicted on them by their father over 50 years ago. And as I was praying for them, I found myself decreeing all things are new in Christ Jesus. The Bible says if anyone be in Christ, he's a new creation. The old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. I began to pray over, over that uh, woman of God and, and begin to say, like, it doesn't matter what your family tree has been. You've been grafted into the vine. We're, we're, we're cut into a new covenant in Christ Jesus. So, so let me just say, regardless of what your lineage is or your background is or what influence has been handed down to you, the best is yet to come for those who are in Christ Jesus. And I came to tell somebody today, your story is not over. When I said the best is yet to come three weeks ago, I, I emphasized the reality of yet means it hadn't happened yet. <laughs> and I won't ask for a testimony, but I think a lot of us could go, yep, yeah, the yet's the biggest part of the sentence for me. Like, yet, it hasn't happened yet. But, but we have to be patient in trusting in the timing of God. And so my word of uh, encouragement to you is don't jet in the yet. That, that's what Naomi did when she was waiting for God's provision. She left Bethlehem, the house of bread, to go down to Moab to find her own way. And so we have to stay. But can I tell you one more thing about this this statement that we've been focused on? The best is yet to come. I don't want you to misinterpret it to think that by saying it's coming, that doesn't mean also you got to go get it. 
You got to go get it. If you're going to be in God's will, it's going to require faith. And faith requires obedience. Obedience requires action. And can I tell you today, action takes courage. It takes courage. There comes a moment where you say, it's coming, but I'm going to step into it. I'm going to step into what God is doing. This last week on Thursday, we had a chance uh, to go down with some of the leaders to National Community Church in Washington, D.C., and uh, several years ago, they, they were looking for property. They were looking for a building kind of like we are today. And, and uh, so the Capitol Turnaround Building came available. Now, the Capitol Turnaround for about a century was the last stop for the streetcars in D.C. The cars would go in, and that's where they would get cleaned up and turned around. So uh, this, this property takes up a city block in the nation's capital, which no, nobody's you know, getting the opportunity to buy a city block in the nation's capital. And so they looked at it and they thought, man, that would be incredible. But the pastor on Thursday, Mark Batterson, told us, he said, we did not have a category of faith for $30 million. Like, we just, like that, that wasn't a category of faith for us. But they took courage in the Lord. They sensed what God was up to. And, and if you're encouraged by the fact that National Community Church is, is now at the Capitol Turnaround Building, let me tell you, I was really encouraged to be sitting in that building and seeing it used for the glory of God. But it doesn't happen without an act of courage. In fact, Hudson Taylor, the pioneer missionary to China, said this, unless there is an element of risk in our exploits for God, there's no need for faith. And so, so sometimes you have, to, you have to take a risk. But here's what I've learned about God-given dreams. If it's a God-given dream, it's not possible without God's help. That's one of the ways you know it's a God-sized dream. If you can do it without his help, it's probably not from him. But he wants to be glorified through your faith and through your obedience. And so, so this chapter that we're getting into now, chapter 3 of Ruth, is, is the moment where action is required. Chapter 1 ended by saying Naomi and her daughter-in-law Ruth got to Bethlehem at the beginning of the harvest season. Chapter 2 ends by saying it was the end of the harvest season. So, so we know there's been about six weeks now. For about six weeks, Ruth has been going only, exclusively, to the fields of Boaz, per his orders. He's been feeding her. He's been taking care of her. He's been blessing her. He's been filling her sack up with grain and sending her back home. And so now Naomi's cupboards are full. They're being blessed. This has been going on for six weeks, and, and she knows now, and so does Ruth, that Boaz is a kinsman redeemer. But nobody's making a move. And so mother-in-law says, we're going to make a move. And now we start to see action in the story. Look at verse 1 through 4 in Ruth 3. It says, one day Ruth's mother-in-law, Naomi, said to her, my daughter, I must find a home for you where you will be well provided for. Now Boaz with whose women you have worked, is a relative of ours. So tonight, he'll be winnowing barley on the threshing floor. Here's what I want you to do. Wash. 
put on perfume, get dressed in your best clothes, then go down to the threshing floor, but don't let him know you are there until he has finished eating and drinking. And when he lies down, note the place where he is lying, and then go and uncover his feet and lie down, and he'll tell you what to do. All right, single ladies. If you're looking for a man, don't do this, okay? Disclaimer on the sermon. This is not my advice, all right? Just, just, just get all gussied up and head on into his house in the middle of the night and pull the covers back and s- slide in by his feet and he'll tell you what to do, Right? Like, come on, this is not my advice. So let's, let's, step, let's step back into the Bible, okay? There is, some, there is some practical application here. There's some, first of all, the application is Naomi had a plan. My goodness, I mean, nobody else was doing anything. She's like, we gotta get, we gotta get the show on the road here. We know who Boaz is. He's the kinsman redeemer. And so she says, I got a plan. You know, if you fail to plan, you plan to fail. But here's the deal. Naomi's not feeling empty. She said, I went away full. I came back empty. But that's not her story anymore. Now her story is the Lord has not stopped showing kindness. Like the Lord has been so faithful. So she's got her confidence back. And by the way, can I just say to us, church, that's why it's so important that we that we keep track, that we have an acknowledgement of God's goodness in our life. Like if God's been faithful to you, don't forget to stop and recognize that. Give God praise for that because God's faithfulness in your life builds your faith for your life. Like the best way to steward a miracle is by believing God for a greater miracle. And so... She counts the the goodness of God. She takes an inventory of how faithful the Lord has been to her. You know, next Sunday is New Life Sunday, and and it's one of my favorite days of the year. We're going to celebrate what God has done in people's lives. But can I tell you that we're not doing New Life Sunday just so we can live in the past. We're doing New Life Sunday. We're hearing these stories of redemption and of families dedicating their children to the Lord and people becoming members of the church. We're doing that to build our faith because we have confidence that if God could do it there, he can do it again. We're building our faith for the future. So Naomi, she, she's pushing Ruth now to go get what's rightfully yours according to the Leverett marriage law. And and Boaz is well aware of this law. In fact, it was interesting. I was reading uh, about some of the genealogy, and Boaz is in the story because of the Leverett marriage law. He's a descendant of Perez, who was the son of Judah. And Perez would not have been born except for the fact that his mother, Tamar, leveraged the Leverett marriage law. So Naomi's, her plan seems unconventional. I mean, it's, you you would expect Boaz is going to approach Ruth, but actually we find out later in the story he couldn't approach Ruth to redeem her because he wasn't the closest in the next of kin. 
So they're looking like he, he's the redeemer, and maybe Ruth is thinking, like, I wonder, I wonder if, he'll, you know, if he'll ask me to marry him. And, and Boaz is thinking, like, I, it's not up to me. Like, you have to, you have to choose me. And, and I think there's a beautiful picture of our salvation. Last week I told you that, that Boaz is, is a type of Christ in the Old Testament. And it's the same way with Jesus. I mean, here's, here's Ruth. She's experiencing the blessing from Boaz. He's providing for her. He's protecting her. He's putting blessings in her path. And she just hasn't come down to the threshing floor and submitted her life to him to say, would you redeem me? And there's a lot of people that way. You're, you're living this life with an awareness that God is good to you. He's blessed you. He's favored you. He's put blessings on your path. And you still have not come to an altar and surrendered your life to him and said, would you redeem me? So Naomi says, like, you, you, you got to go. And she gives her some pretty good advice. She says to her, number one, put your past behind you. Look at verse 3 again. She said, wash and perfume yourself and get dressed in your best clothes. See, see Ruth was a widow, and after her husband died, she, she left Moab, and she's still wearing the widow's garment. She's still in a season of mourning. She hasn't anointed her head. She hasn't put on fresh clothes. And so what Naomi is saying is, Ruth, it's, it's time to put your past in the past. It's time to prepare to meet your Redeemer. It's, it's, time, it's time to move on and to move forward in what God wants to do in your life. And then she says, I want you to seek him out, and I want you to bow down at his feet. Now, don't get lost in, in the poetry of the language, but what she essentially says is, Naomi says, you need to, you need to submit yourself before Boaz, and, and then she tells her, he will tell you what to do. I think that's, that's great advice. There's a lot of people that, that won't come to Jesus in full surrender because they don't know what's next. They get so caught up, and I'm, I'm not sure how this story's going to play out. I mean, if I, if I give my life to Jesus, if, if I start following Jesus, what, how's this going to work out? And what about this scenario over there? And, and what about my friends or my, my spouse or my children? And, and we, we go through all this stuff, and Naomi just says, just go to him and submit yourself to him, and he'll tell you what to do. He'll tell you, listen, giving your life to Jesus is not the finish line of faith. It's the starting line. It's the necessary first step that says, I, I just come to you in full surrender. Her advice reminds me of another godly woman in the New Testament. And if Boaz is a, a picture of Christ, how fitting is it that when Jesus performed his first miracle at a wedding in Cana, the, the bride and groom had run out of wine, and, and so his mother, Mary, said to his servants, I want you to go to Jesus and do whatever he tells you. Just, just do what he tells you. What good advice that we would just come to our Redeemer this morning and just listen and do what he tells us to do. Now, Naomi's already created the inciting incident here, but Ruth is the next person to take action. I want you to look, look at it with me in verse 5 through 9. It says, she said, I will do whatever you say, Ruth answered. And so she went down to the threshing floor and she did everything her mother-in-law told her to do. And when Boaz had finished eating and drinking and was in good spirits, he went over to lie down at the far end of the grain pile. Ruth approached quietly, uncovered his feet, and lay down. 
It's something we see in Oriental culture, even with servants. Oftentimes, they would lay at the foot of the bed perpendicular to their master. And, uh, and as a sign of compassion, maybe they would offer them a little bit of the blanket. And so she comes and she submits herself at his feet. And then it says, verse 8, in the middle of the night, something startled the man. His feet were probably cold. Huh? You know, uh, And he, he turned and there was a woman lying at his feet. Now, let me talk to the single guys. If you're praying for a woman of God, this is not going to be the way it happens. I'm just, don't pray verse 8. That's just, it's just not going to happen that way. I'm sorry. Who are you, verse 9 says, he asked. I'm your servant Ruth, she said. Spread the corner of your garment over me, since you are a guardian redeemer of our family. So now, now Ruth is the one acting in boldness. I mean, not only does she, she wash herself and put on perfume and a beautiful dress and lay down at his feet. Naomi said, when you get there, he'll tell you what to do. But by this time, her confidence is up. She doesn't wait for instructions. She starts telling him, like, here's what's going to happen. I want you to put the garment over me because you're our kinsman redeemer. And I, and I know some of the culture, you know, it's kind of lost on us. And this kind of looks like an indecent proposal in the night. So I started looking into it and saying, is there anywhere else in Scripture that we see this? Like, is there, any, is there any precedent for this to happen? And I only found one place where we see this played out. And it's actually in Ezekiel chapter 16 and verse 8. And it's a picture of God and the nation of Israel. And God says to them, he said, I spread the corner of my garment over you and I covered you. And his act of doing that was a symbol of his covenant with the nation of Israel. He said, I have covered you. What's interesting in, in the book of Ruth is the word that is translated as garment here in verse 9 is the same word that's translated as wing in Ruth chapter 2 and verse 12. So in, in chapter 2 and verse 12, Boaz blessed her. And he said, uh, may you be blessed by the Lord God of Israel under whose wing you have come to take refuge. That's the same word. He, in other words, it could have been translated, you came to take refuge under God's garment and you're blessed. And I just can't help but wonder if she kind of picked up on that. And now here she comes to him in the middle of the night and says, I'm coming to take refuge under your garment. You talk about taking action. I mean, Understand what this is. Verse 9 is a marriage proposal. I mean, it sounds poetic, but this is Ruth asking Boaz to marry her. So she steps out now. I mean, you know, Naomi got the ball rolling. Uh, she understood that faith requires action, but now, now Naomi or Ruth, rather, is taking action. She's, she's demonstrating courage, and there's one person that needs to get moving in this story, and his name's Boaz. And it's his turn. Look at what he says in verse 10. The Lord bless you, my daughter, he replied. This kindness is greater than that which you showed earlier. Again, earlier goes back to chapter 2 and verse 11 when he said, I've seen what you did. You left your family as a foreigner. You came with your widowed mother-in-law and you've been faithful to her. He said, this, what you're, doing, what you're asking me to redeem you is even more kind than what you did before. You have not run, he says, after the younger men whether rich or poor. And now, my daughter, don't be afraid. I will do for you all that you ask. All the people of my town know that you are a woman of noble 
character. And so we get a little insight into maybe why he hadn't, you know, suggested redeeming her. He's shocked. He's like, you, you could have gone after younger guys. I mean, he's probably twice her age. Maybe that's why he's calling her daughter. She's maybe 25. He's probably at least 50. And he's going like, I, I can't believe that you would, I can't believe that you would even ask me. This is just one of the, the many reasons that this match looks unconventional. I mean, not only does, is a younger person proposing to a, an older person, a young woman is proposing to an older man, a field laborer is proposing to a field owner, and a foreigner is proposing to a citizen. And when I got to thinking about that, I thought, you know, that, that's about like us. We probably have our list of reasons things won't work out too. We can do that with God, right? We got all, we got all the reasons. Like, this isn't going to work because of this and because of that and because of this other thing. But can I just say, it doesn't matter what the odds are against you if God has already counted a blessing for your good. Don't count yourself out. Yeah, I, I love that verse in chapter 2 and verse 3 that says, as it turned out, she was working in the field of Boaz. Well, now we realize, as it turned out, Ruth wasn't looking for a younger man. She was looking for a man of standing. As it turned out, she didn't care how old he was. As it turned out, he didn't care what her nationality was. And, and, and oftentimes we disqualify ourselves from the goodness of God in our lives because of what we don't know. Well, Boaz didn't know that Ruth wanted him to redeem her. She just felt unworthy because of who she was, because she was a Moabite. But what, what she didn't know is that Boaz actually grew up having firsthand experience of the fact that God can take a foreign, immoral woman, save her life, and make her a godly wife and mother. You say, how did he know that? Because when you go over to Matthew chapter 1 and verse 5, and you read the genealogy of Jesus, what we learn is that Boaz's mom was Rahab. Some of you remember the story in Joshua chapter 2. The Israelites were marching around the walls of Jericho. It was the, the first city in the promised land, and God said, I want you to destroy everything in that city. It's, don't, don't keep any of the spoils. It represented a tithe. It said, Jericho is mine. Don't keep anything in it except spare the life of the prostitute Rahab. Now you know you have a bad reputation when God defines you as the, like, Rahab, yeah, the, the harlot, yes, that one. Save her. Because when the spies had gone in to survey Jericho and they were, uh, they were seen, Rahab hid them in her house. She protected them. In other words, in, in a crisis moment, she put her faith in God. And so all of Jericho was destroyed except for her and her family. She became a part of God's people as a foreigner. She met a man named Salmon and they got married. And pretty soon they had a boy named Boaz. And so here's Ruth thinking, like, I, I, he would never redeem me. She's out in the field going, I'm a Moabite, I, I'm a foreigner, and, you know, I don't have anything to offer. And he's sitting, you know, on the tractor watching her work, and he's thinking, man, she reminds me of my mom. <laughs> right? <laughs> like, what a catch. God knows Ruth's backstory. But God also knows Boaz has a backstory. 
And maybe you've got a long list of reasons why your story won't work, but I'm going to encourage you. The best is yet to come. Your story's not over. And this is like a beautiful moment. It looks like we're about to roll credits because Boaz says, I'll redeem you. I'll do everything you ask. But then all of a sudden, like our our little picture-perfect story is interrupted with a cold dose of reality in verse 12 because he says to her, although it is true that I am a guardian redeemer of our family, there's another one that's more closely related than I am. Oh, man, seriously? And then she realizes that he's he's not the first in line to redeem my life. Now, maybe this other guy's younger. Maybe that's why he was surprised at how kind she was to come to him. Maybe he's got more hair. Maybe he's got more money. We don't know anything about the other kinsman redeemer, but Boaz does. Like, she wakes him up in the middle of the night, and, I mean, he's thought this through. He's like, okay, I'm, gonna, I'm honored. I'm going to do what you said, but I'm, I'm not the first in line. There's, there's, another, there's another redeemer, and, and, and he might be the one to redeem your life. And so she gets up the next morning, and, and he, sends her, he sends her back to Naomi's house, but he doesn't send her home empty-handed. He says, I'm going to talk to the other kinsman redeemer. And he fills her sack full of grain. And when she gets home and Naomi sees all of that grain, like she knows. She knows what this means. She has so much confidence. Look at the last part of chapter 3 there, verse 18. Then Naomi said, wait, my daughter, until you find out what happens. For the man will not rest until this matter is settled today. And again, I think this is such a beautiful picture of our salvation because Ruth finally laid her life down before him. She finally surrendered everything to him and said, would you redeem my life? And Naomi says, the rest is up to him. Like you, you can rest now. You, you, don't, you, don't have, you don't have to keep striving. You don't have to worry about, well, what, what do I do now? What do I do next? No, no, just, just come to your Redeemer and, and, and surrender your life to him. And now you can just rest in knowing that he is not gonna, he's not gonna rest until he settles the matter. He is, he is working to figure this out. Then you get into chapter four and Boaz goes to the other Redeemer and he's like, listen, We've got some kinfolk, you know Naomi, she's back, and uh, you're first in line to, to redeem the property. And the guy's like, I'll do it. I'll, yeah, I'll do it. Let's, let's make the deal. And so then he brings up the lever at marriage thing, and he's like, well, there's this other thing. If you, if you redeem the property, you've also got to marry, uh, you know, Malon's uh, widow, Ruth. And the guy starts processing, like, wait a minute, I'm going to have to, like, divide my inheritance with my kids and her kids and... I don't think I can do that. I'm not, I don't want to do that. And so the guy backs off and, and Boaz steps up. And it says in verse 13, so Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. And, and again, roll credits, like this is the happy moment, except it's not. I mean, it's awesome for Ruth that, that Boaz married her, but But again, this is the subplot romance. The greater story is God's faithful love to Naomi. And the fact is, they don't have any kids. She was married for 10 years and she was childless. Ruth can't have kids. And so it says, when Boaz made love to Ruth, the Lord enabled her to conceive. And she gave birth to a son. And then what's interesting about the story is, it, like, 
you know, zoom in for the kiss moment, right? Like this is the end of the story. And then the camera pans to Naomi. Like kind of leaves the story of Ruth and Boaz and it's all back to Naomi. And it says in verse 14, the women said to Naomi, praise be to the Lord who this day has not left you without a guardian redeemer. Talking about the, the, the baby boy that her daughter-in-law just gave birth to. They said, may he become famous throughout Israel. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you and who is better to you than seven sons has given him birth. Then Naomi took the child in her arms and she cared for him. The women living there said, Naomi has a son. Why, why, why would the story emphasize Naomi has a son? Ruth just gave birth. <laughs> Naomi has a son. The reason they emphasized that was to go all the way back to chapter 1 and verse 21 and to say to us, Naomi was wrong. She was wrong when she said, I went away full, but God brought me back empty. She was wrong to think that the, the worst part of her story was the end of her story. She was wrong to think that it was just a setback when God said, no, this is a setup for a comeback. Like, the, the best is yet to come. That's not your story. That, that's your backstory. And we come full circle, and now her arms are full, the bouncing baby boy. And the women said, Naomi has a son. And when you look at the very end of the story, it goes on. to tell us that there was a whole lot more happening here than just one little family in the midst of a 400 year history of the people of God. Verse 17 goes on to say, and they named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. And when you look at the last verse in the story, it's telling the genealogy of the family in verse 22 of chapter four says, Obed, the baby boy, was the father of Jesse, and Jesse was the father of David. David became king of Israel. He brought more glory to God than had ever been brought to God in Israel. And so the, one of the main messages of this little book is that God is at work in the worst of times. Even through the sins of his people, he still is plotting for your good. He's still working out a story of redemption. At a time when there were no kings and everyone did what was right in their own eyes, God was orchestrating a love story of his faithfulness. And Naomi becomes the great-grandmother of King David. Her family is in the genealogy of Jesus. What I want you to understand today as we close is that fulfilling God's plan requires faith. You know that. Faith requires action. And action takes courage. There comes a moment where we, yes, the best is yet to come, but I've got to step up and step into it. And so today, I, I want to just pray a prayer of faith over you today. Would you just stand with me to honor the presence of the Lord this morning? As we just shift into a, a moment of prayer here, 
I, I love how the Holy Spirit can allow someone to preach a message about a family thousands of years ago. And yet all, all through this message, there's been things the Holy Spirit's been talking to you about. There, there's moments that you've disqualified yourself. You counted yourself out of a blessing that God's already counted for you. There, no doubt in my mind, there are many of you here today, as I'm, as I'm preaching this message about Ruth, the Holy Spirit is making applications that I don't know anything about. And so I want to just take a moment, and would you bring those things to the forefront of your heart and life right now between you and the Lord as I pray. God, I thank you that, that your Holy Spirit is working in our hearts and in our lives. There, there are disappointments that have come to our minds this morning. Many of us have seen ourselves in the story of Naomi. We, we would say that I used to be full, but now I'm empty. Many of us would see ourselves in, in Ruth, and we would feel unworthy of being redeemed. Maybe we would count ourselves out of your blessing for a long list of reasons. Many of us, maybe we relate to Boaz, who didn't want to step in to his God-given assignment because he assumed that Ruth would go after someone younger, someone wealthier, But God, today, as we, as we come, we ask you to just cover us. Would you cover us, Lord? We come in humility, and we ask you, Lord, tell us what to do. Tell us what to do. And I pray today for a holy courage, a holy courage to fill our hearts and our lives, that we would leave this service today with a confidence and a conviction that believes that what looked like my story was just the backstory. The best is yet to come. And God, as you lead us and guide us, we will step out in faith and we will claim what you said could be ours in Christ Jesus. So we thank you, Lord for your Holy Spirit confirming your word in us today. Give us the resolve to walk it out, to walk it out in faith, in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. Come on, if you believe he's gonna do it, let's give him praise. Amen. Yeah.